You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Spot Podcast. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Fear the Walking Dead, the season in its entirety. But before we go into it, I wanted to thank everyone for listening. The podcast is growing. We're getting more listeners daily, which is awesome. And we want to just continue to uh, give that push to have everyone uh, please let your friends know about it and subscribe and if you love the podcast please review us on itunes just give us a short sentence or two or if you don't want to do that you can even just give us the stars uh just rate us on there it helps us out tremendously all right so we're doing fear the walking dead today uh in preparation for walking dead which is the one we really love Fear the Walking Dead is an American horror drama TV series created by Robert Kirkman and Dave Erickson. It premiered on AMC on August 23rd. Of course, this is the companion series and prequel to The Walking Dead, which we all love and we'll be doing our regular podcast on very soon. That was based on the comic book. For the TV show, the first and second series will have six and 15 episodes, respectively. So for those of you who felt like maybe it was a little slow to get started, six episodes wasn't enough. Next season, we will get a little more. The producer for Fear is Bill Johnson. Executive producers include Robert Kirkman and a few others. Guess who one of the execs is, Jason? Who? Our Greg Nicotero, who's worked on Game of Thrones. Oh, that would be smart. And the way this was started, in September 2014, AMC ordered a pilot written by Kirkman and Erickson and directed by Adam Davidson. The project was originally known as Cobalt, which, for those of you who have been paying attention to the titles, was the name of our fifth episode this season. They definitely went the smarter route, naming (laughs) the series Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, and what I thought was interesting, too, the production of the pilot that began in early 2015 was filmed in L.A. Obviously, that's where we're supposed to be taking place. But the remaining first episodes of this season were actually filmed in Vancouver, in British Columbia. Even the last episode where they're driving in L.A.? I don't know if they maybe took pieces of the first filming and scattered it throughout where they needed it, Uh, but it does say the majority of the remaining episodes were filmed elsewhere, apparently. It seems they've gotten good ratings so far. The U.S. series premiere attracted 10.1 million total viewers, with 6.3 of them in that coveted advertiser demo of 18 to 49-year-olds. And it also took the 2015 E-Online Best Ever TV Awards, new show you're most excited to see. So do we think it lives up to the hype is the big question. Uh, well, we'll go through our grading at the end, but that's the issue is that there is a lot of hype because it has this huge monster of The Walking Dead behind it. Mm-hmm. And they're saying this is a branch off of The Walking Dead if you love that, watch how it happened. Right. So they were starting already. It's kind of like if I was Michael Jordan's son and I was pretty good at basketball. And if I wasn't Michael Jordan's son, everyone would be like, this kid is nasty. But since I'm his son, they're <laughs> like, yeah, he's really good. But I mean, is he Michael Jordan? That's absolutely true. And just talking initial impressions here before we get into the deep dive about the season, trying to separate it out, even if it wasn't connected to The Walking Dead, I don't know how much I would love it. It would be okay. But like you say, coming from The Walking Dead, I was anticipating a whole different kind of show. This is the prequel. This is how we're going to find out the big story of the world behind the show, not just a small group of people, but what's happened. We thought we might get a look more into the military or the CDC, what actually caused this. And we spent a lot of time in the six episodes we had just, again, developing a small group of characters that I felt I couldn't even really relate to, not like I did right off the bat in Walking Dead. I wasn't all that interested or invested in them, and I don't know how much more invested I've grown after the season's over. You know what? I'm just going to go with what you're saying. I was going to talk about this later, but you know it makes sense now. 
they had amazing actors, and we will go through the main actors in a second. Mm-hmm. They had really renowned actors, even uh, you know lower grade A actors. Yeah, and we did have the ability with their skills to fall in love with these characters. I don't know again if we were jaded because we're already in love with the Walking Dead mm. characters, and it's in the same storyline. But one thing you were saying, it, it just it was it just encompassed this one family and we've already experienced the walking dead encompassing one group yep and in the talking dead show robert kirkman actually said that their goal from the outset was to look at the apocalypse through the filter of a family drama first so again right there it's enclosed in this one family yeah, it's a myopic view, but I think that was a huge mistake to take that approach to it. I don't think that's what people were looking for. And I thought the same as you. Was it that I grew so incredibly in love with these characters over many seasons of Walking Dead? But I went back recently to test that and watched the first couple of episodes of season one of The Walking Dead and tried to look at it through a fresh set of eyes. From episode one... I cared about what was going on with the characters they introduced. There was a lot of action. They were throwing a bunch at you at one time. It felt like you were being placed in this world. And even though it was through the lens, perhaps, of one man, we were still getting visions of bigger things that were happening in the city with the walkers. And I understand they didn't want to throw the walkers at us right away. We had to see what led up to it. But that that doesn't mean you couldn't have action scenes to hook you in and get you excited about it and show you a little more about what was happening. I think they planned it wrong. They did try to get those action scenes when there's a riot. And our main characters, Travis Manawa and Chris Manawa, had to dive into the barbershop to get uh, out of the ruckus so they kind of did but still it was in this one bubble and even then it didn't have the same feeling to me of mm-hmm. anxiety and fear and I, I don't know it felt disjointed it, it felt like I didn't care so much about what was going on because all the more if you're going to make this a story from the viewpoint of one family or a couple of small characters um, coming into a group together I have to start to love them or care for them early on if we're not going to have those other really big moments. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And like you said, it's not necessarily the actors. They have the ability to play these roles very well. It has to be how it was written for them and explained to them. But they weren't gripping me. <laughs> and most of them still aren't. One of the issues is it was a slow burn. And Walking Dead at points became a slow burn as well. So don't forget that. And I know what they could have done to fix this. If they had maybe four or five main characters, four or five Travis Manawas in their own situations, maybe not not just L.A., they have a character who's in the army oh, and they absolutely. follow what he goes through Spread before out and after. Locations. They have a character who is... In the CDC or somebody trying to get a, a handle on if it's a virus or what's going on with it. We have another character who's pregnant. That'd be amazing. How does she deal with it? She's about to give birth. She's weeks away. How does she deal with that? Maybe somebody in space who's removed from the entire thing, an astronaut who can look down on things and and kind of get reports on what's happening, but from a safe remove. Uh, Like you say, just different stories, different backgrounds, so we can get the global view. That's exactly what I meant. Not such a small, myopic view. And in a location like Los Angeles, that isn't all that exciting. Mm-hmm. It was this big hype over setting it in L.A. Why is this interesting? And you didn't use the landscape to your benefit. Yeah, it could have been interesting being in L.A., but they didn't. It was so close up. Again, mm-hmm. you said this before. It was so uh, first person that it didn't feel like L.A. It didn't matter where they were. Mm-hmm. It could have been anywhere. Yep. It could have been Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? They weren't in Hollywood. There was no landmarks that we know, like, oh, that's L.A. Mm-hmm. So if they had these separate characters and then they die off, the pregnant woman like dies off, but we've had episodes getting to know her and mm-hmm. her struggle, that's a big deal. You yeah, know? where she can represent a larger population. The characters we're seeing 
don't feel representative of what's going on with the entire world mm -hmm. because it isn't even so much about their storylines and what makes them unique in this world. Like you say, if, if you're looking through the point of view of a doctor, why is that interesting? But we're not getting that. We're no. getting the small family drama mm -hmm. and finally a little bit of the military drama, but from such a small point of view that that's not even as exciting as it could have been. Um, because we are on the outside. We were still on the outside from the military. Which you could have had through the perspective of Adams, the military guy that winds up becoming part of this drama, mm -hmm. the Salazar tortures. Yeah, how did he get to that point? How in That would have been so much more interesting than everyone's little tantrums in this one family. It's ugh. There are so many possibilities in this. And we're getting into the characters now, so why don't we go ahead and review some of the main ones and talk about how we feel they're doing as far as our connection with them. Sounds good. We've already mentioned him, Travis Manoa, played by Cliff Curtis, known for Live Free or Die Hard, Training Day, Three Kings, The Fountain, mm -hmm. and a plethora of more. You guys know his face. He's a great actor, and uh, I think he could have done better. And you know what? He has an accent. Didn't know till I watched Talking Dead. Yeah, I think the problem with him and... He, like many other actors, I recognized them when I saw them. I couldn't think what their names were or how I knew them. But I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be good. And I think I was most excited for him mm -hmm. initially. He felt like a man that I want to relate to somebody in this story. And I wanted to see somebody recognize the danger that we're in mm -hmm. and try to rally the family and be strong. And he started out that way and at some point did a major 180 to this pacifist who didn't want his children learning how to use weapons, didn't want to take care of um, Susu, the neighbor, once mm -hmm. <laughs> she turned Walker, was pretending like none of this really existed, trying to be the quote-unquote mayor of the town. They better not play the same arc that they did with Rick Grimes, because I don't want to see the same thing over again. Well, and you can't do that in six episodes. No. I mean, the reason it's okay for a character like Rick to take a downfall and want to do a spin around is from living so long in a world mm -hmm. and having to do so many awful things. But this guy had about two episodes of being the kind of person we want to see before he flipped around for absolutely no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fun fact, Cliff Curtis actually had a speech coach that actually kind of coached him line per line almost, it seemed like. Okay. While they were filming the show because Chris Hardwick asked him, how did he do the English accent so well? Mm. And he was like, pretty much line for line, they were coaching me. Yeah. Then we have Ophelia Salazar. That's Daniel's daughter. The actress is Mercedes Mason. You know her for Quarantine 2, Three Veils, The Finder, Red Sands. Okay, The Finder. I won't go on too much of a... <laughs> Tangent, but I watched The Finder on Netflix. Okay. Love the show. It was canceled after one season. And I don't know, I should have done my homework. I don't know if it's because Michael Clark Duncan died after that one season, but it's one of those shows. It was kind of fun. It was one of those uh, listeners here know that I love it where there's a character like House or all those other shows that I've talked about where there's this one character who's kind of a savant. Mm -hmm. The Finder is it's about an Iraq war vet who suffers a brain injury that triggers the ability to see connections between seemingly unrelated events, objects, and people. So he kind of like he gets hired by the police. The main policeman is Mercedes Mason, the actress. Okay. And figures out these crazy cases. And it's just fun. It's in, I think, Florida or Hawaii, somewhere beautiful. And Michael Clark Duncan is like a he's a great Comic Relief, but also The Muscle. Mm -hmm. It was just a great show. So if you guys have Netflix, definitely check that out if you, if you have time on your hands. Well, Ophelia as a character, I think, I was interested in her and her father. We'll talk about him next. Because they seem strong to me right off the bat. They were thrown into this situation and started to figure out how to adapt pretty quickly. They were not trusting of new people even though this is not the kind of world we had grown used to yet, like in Walking Dead, where they start off by trusting everybody and they learn over time that they have to be careful and protect their group. They, these two immediately started out like that, which I thought was very smart. Mm -hmm. um, they had to figure out their escape route, figure out if they were going to trust these people, meaning the Manawas, when they came to them. 
I don't know that they've done enough with her arc in this first season. I mean, her big culminating thing was she sort of had this relationship with Adams, the military guy, as we go along and draws him in. We're not sure if she really likes him or she's using him. Yeah, we know she was using him. But was there some real affection there or connection? We're not sure. And then she feels bad for doing that when she sees the results of what had to happen. But that's it's not that compelling. So I'm not quite sure where they're going with her yet. I think her father's story was definitely more interesting. Absolutely. And he was one of the standout characters. Daniel Salazar, played by Ruben Blades. He's mm-hmm. known for Safe House, Predator 2, Do the Right Thing, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, <laughs> a and a of slew stuff. of <laughs> other movies. And uh, a couple more fun facts. He ran for president of Panama as founder and head of the Pap Agoro Party in 1994. Yeah, I just heard about that recently. He holds degrees in law from the University of Panama and international law from Harvard. You know, that little school. (laughs) And he's also a salsa singer, not just something he does on the side. He's won six Grammys and he's up for another one this year. So basically, he's a renaissance man. (laughs) Yeah. And you can kind of see it in his eyes, like this guy's been around. And he always plays like this badass, but it's not like in your face badass like Arnold Schwarzenegger where he has to flex to do it. In the way he acts and the way his body language is like, that's not someone you want to fuck with. Yeah, well, right off the bat, in Fear the Dead, how we're going to refer to it just to be easier for us from now on, he has this gentle, mild way of speaking, this Mm -hmm. reserved manner to him, but you can tell that there's a strength, that there's a power underneath that, and it doesn't take long for us to see he's the man that's going to take charge of the situation and protect his family and ultimately do whatever needs to be done, even if that means torturing a man, as we see in later episodes. And I'm sure that was really hard to watch, but we can also kind of understand why he had to do that. And that it was just as hard for him as anybody else, especially given the background that he lets us into in that episode. But he was going to be the one to take that position and do that thing that nobody else wanted to do. He also made the dumb move of releasing all those fucking walkers. Well, yeah, I don't know that that was the right thing there. All right, let's move back to the other family. Yeah, well, the first family (laughs) of Travis Manoa. Lisa Ortiz. Uh, played by Elizabeth Rodriguez, known for Orange is the New Black. Mm. She played Alida Diaz. She was the uh, the fucked up mom who didn't have time for her daughter, and her daughter ends up in jail with her. <laughs> and yeah. She ends up having a baby. She's a great actress because those roles are so different. And they made us hate her very efficiently. She made us hate her yeah. in that series. She's also known for The Drop, Miami Vice, the new one. Side Effects, and Desperado mm. with Antonia Banderas. Um, she was great. She was, uh, you know, they didn't use her that much, which is fine because I don't think her storyline needed to be any more than that. Um, I enjoyed her. Was that death? Did it matter about that death at the end? Was it Daniel Salazar's fault because he let those zombies loose? Or what, what about the fact that she was standing there when they were like, come up to the, to the truck. And she's just standing there watching everyone. Well, she made, she made a bunch of silly mistakes. I, I can't come to terms with early on. She was so intent upon protecting her family, even though this was going to be difficult, trying to bring these two sides of Travis's family together. Mm-hmm. She was very self- selfless. So I appreciated that about her. Yeah, well, it seemed to be that way. That's what I was going to say. Right up until she decides to get on the truck and leave her family, leave her son to go off to this medical base with the doctor, the woman doctor that I forget her name in the TV show, Mm -hmm. because she appeals to this nature in her that she has a skill and she needs to help people. She's needed at this hospital and she's got to go right now. Now, first of all, if somebody comes up and tells you that that in the middle of the night, they're taking people out of their homes and you can't say goodbye and you can't take your son. You just have to go somewhere through dangerous territory to come and help them medically. Mm -hmm. Now, does that make sense to you? I mean, are you just going to get up there and kind of wave goodbye to your kid and everything's going to be cool? 
Well, okay, so you saw that as selfish. Um, and now not that necessarily I see- selfish, just a little stupid. Well, she wanted to help others. So maybe help it was other more- strangers above her son. Her son didn't need help. She had her. She had a whole. I don't think she thought she'd be away from them that much. I thought she'd be able to like come back that night, maybe. She thought well, that. that's naive. That's what I'm saying. This whole situation is a little bit sketchy, and I don't think I would have been cool with that. Now, she did handle everything that went down at the hospital really well mm-hmm. with a certain degree of bravery, and right up until the end when she tells Madison that she wants her to kill her, basically, that she's been infected and she knows it's her time. But that's another thing. I mean, she had just been bitten. They don't really know entirely the rules of the way this thing works. Do you think it was a little too soon without even making the effort? She, I mean, she didn't even say goodbye to her son. She didn't do anything. She, it, it was just uh, like, I think her storyline her story was done. A lot of people on Reddit said that it would have been nice to have a medical person there. But I think her storyline was done. And I actually, that was one of the more intriguing, if you break it down... That was one of the more intriguing storylines because she had to deal with the fact that she started helping people and she liked the way she felt. And then Daniel Salazar's wife had to go into that truck and she could go with them to take care of her. So maybe it's not just strangers. It's taking care of Daniel Salazar's wife. Well, that was definitely a piece of it. Absolutely. And she knew Nick was going too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, uh... I thought her character was great because she, dealing with the fact that this is brand new, she wasn't naive to the point where, like Travis's new wife, who sees the principal and is like, already knows and already seen dead people or the walkers or the infected, um, and saying, saying, Art, are you okay? And like letting him get close. See, that's the stupidness that I hated, but hers is more of the internal thoughts and decisions you have to go through with this brand new thing. Who do I help? Do I just stick with my son who already has his father there with his new wife and all this group of people that we've shown that is safe in this house? No, she, she definitely falls somewhere in between on the scale. I think you have Travis and at some instances Madison on one end who are sort of naive and not making at all the right decisions. And then you have the Salazars on the other side who are just going to do what needs to be done. And she falls somewhere inside of that middle bracket. And I'm sure that's where the majority of the population would wind up in a situation Mm -hmm. like this. But just scrutinizing here, I mean, we have very few characters to look at and they are being put under a microscope. And we are supposed to be understanding of the trials they're going through and to feel for them in a certain way. But if I can't feel for her because she's a mother with an intense connection to her son and to protect him, she's sort of the discarded first family of Travis that she's not really his love and his current wife. I mean, it's hard to find a place for her to have me invested in what's mm-hmm. going on. And if the story is going to be her helping people in this medical way and falling into this world, they just introduce that and then she's killed. Right. So I'm not sure that her storyline in the six episodes nor her death really gave me a reason to care that much, be interested in this side of the family and her son doesn't give me a reason on his own causes either. Right. (laughs) And while we're on that, the doctor you were speaking of, which was Dr. Bethany Exner, yeah. Played by Sand- Sandrine Holt. That would have been the great, char- oh. the perfect character to have a main storyline with her. And then they meet up. So how did that doctor end up with these military men? And how did she end up setting up this little hospital? And they were building her so much, seemingly to go nowhere. Yeah. Now. Now she's just sitting there like there's nowhere to go. But that would have been inter- interesting, right? During these slow moments in the beginning of the season. Absolutely. If you're going to do the slow burn, dive into these characters, make me love them or hate them either way and keep a purpose for them. But they're not managing to do any of those things in an effective way. I don't feel. Maybe it's because they only had six episodes. I don't know. No, it's not because because they their goal was to be around this one family. And I think now, as we're going to approach the kids, they are my least 
cared about group of characters Mm -hmm. where I feel they're supposed to probably be the most (laughs) like with Walking Dead where we really care about what's going to happen to Carl and Sophia because they're these sort of innocent helpless kids and how will this new world shape them they're doing a really terrible job with (laughs) these three kids here first continuing along with Travis's initial family you have Liza's son Chris Manoa who's played by Lorenzo James Henry what do you think about on the scale of children? He's probably least my interesting. least interesting one. <laughs> His biggest scene was when he was on the roof and he was looking at this light. Which whatever happened to that light? It was a completely pointless side plot yeah. that they did nothing with. <laughs> we this never was saw his that big building, adventure. I don't think. He was in a riot that really served no purpose. He filmed it and he was like, <laughs> "Dad, I'm in a riot. I'm trying to be me." It's too important. It's important. It doesn't matter about the end of the world. We're saying, hell no, we won't go. The dad almost gets himself killed trying to get to him. I mean, he's had these miniature diversions of stories throughout the six episodes that could have just fallen off the map. His character could have been erased and it wouldn't have mattered one little bit. Right. And I can't tell. Are they trying to develop some sort of weird um, step-sibling romance between him and... Travis's other daughter, Alicia? No, no, I don't think so. Are you sure? Because there was this very weird scene with them playing dress up in the rich person's house and he's sort of eyeing her when well, she's he's getting going changed through puberty. Who in the would, bedroom. And she's like dressing up and they're both a little bit weirder. Now, they're not blood related. No. Remember that. So it, it's still strange, but not out of the realm of... No, I think that was just the adolescence thing that you go through she was enjoying being looked at because she you know she's getting used to being looked at that way and it's intriguing to her you went through that and uh he's you know his penis is starting to tingle and he's starting to listen to that head well that's what i mean if that's what's going on how do you discount that something might wind up Uh, happening between these two maybe but uh i don't see it i don't see it and i don't think he's a strong enough character or actor at this point, but uh, maybe. And what was with that dress-up scene? What was the point of that as well? Oh, I don't know. They go into the rich person's house. They put on all the clothes and they trash all all the shit. Like, oh, their stories are just so stupid. That would have been a perfect time for another storyline. And then you have the other two kids, Travis and Madison's children. Alicia, because we were just speaking about her, is Alicia Clark. Played by, believe it or not, Alicia Debenham Carey. Yep. She's hot, though. And she's going to be a, a dime piece when she gets older. She's known for Into the Storm. That's where I recognize her from. And The Devil's Hand. And being my next girlfriend. Uh, never heard of that one. Because uh, it's in the future, and you'll see. She'll be mine. <laughs> Do you notice that this is going to sound so sexist, but a lot of hot young actresses start their careers in scary movies? Yeah, <laughs> like the victim of... Just the, Yeah, exactly. Well, thinking about it now, what was her big moment in six episodes? Well, she was on the screen more when she had that romance with her boyfriend. Yeah, that was mildly interesting. You know, teenagers in puppy love and having to separate them, mm-hmm. but eventually didn't really have a major impact. She grieved him for, you know, like a day. She's obviously still thinking about him. She's needling herself this tattoo to seemingly give permanence to the one that the boyfriend drew on her arm before they were separated. Right. But I don't know. That was that was sort of the, uh, the end of interesting things to happen to Alicia. Finally, we have Nick Clark. He's played by Frank Delane. He's known for playing the 16-year-old Tom Riddle in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, I went and looked at some images of uh, the Half-Blood Prince, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I couldn't piece it together. You kept saying he was in Harry Potter. He was in Harry Potter, and I couldn't piece it together. You know what's funny? His serious face is the same face. But he looked different then. Well, he's a lot more baby-faced and clean. Uh, In real life, he's also Stannis Baratheon's son. Oh, I forget snap. his name, but the guy that plays Stannis in mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, this is his son in real life. Whoa. All right, let's talk about Nick. 
Because I think he's meant to be really one of our main characters. Yes. He's one that we're introduced to very early on in the season. We keep coming back to him. What do you think the main importance of this storyline is? I mean, primarily they're focusing it around his addiction. And I don't know that that's something so original and so compelling that we need to have six episodes of going through this. Oh, there... I, th- I actually like his character. There's a few reasons why. In Walking Dead, there was this huge audience rumor that cultivated on the web about Breaking Bad. When Walking Dead was gaining its prominence, mm-hmm. Breaking Bad was ending its series on okay. a high note. And people were questioning, is Breaking Bad the Walking Dead prequel? And is Blue Sky responsible for the zombie outbreak? So Blue Sky is the type of meth that Walter White made. And he was a chemist. And it's like this purest meth that made everyone super high. And it was blue. So people are saying, what, this caused the infection? They're saying, is that what caused the infection? And let me me read through this. Uh, What if the universe inhabited by Walter White and Jesse Pinkman was the same one that cast The Walking Dead is trying to navigate? Of course, some would argue these are merely Easter eggs, nods to fellow shows of the same network. But how many times can you hide clues in a show before it goes from a hat tip to a dire warning? It all started innocently enough way back in season two, Walking Dead. In the second episode, Bloodletting, we learn from Daryl that his brother was a drug dealer before the walkers came, taking out a plastic bag with Merle's stash to bring down T-Dog's fever. Viewers can clearly see Blue Sky just laying at the bottom of the bag. And we're, we're currently looking at that picture. Okay. That's Blue Sky. Maybe that could have been a nod because it's both AMC, right? right? No big deal, right? Just a little wink, wink. But it's enough to push folks to dig a little deeper into past episodes, all the way back to the second episode of season one. The red Dodge Challenger that Glenn steals looks a little familiar to Breaking Bad fans. So this Dodge, remember it, the alarm's going off and he's yep, driving around? Yeah, of course. That's the one that Walter White bought. Oh, yeah. He, his, he started getting a lot of money. Yep. It's the same, same one. In fact, according to this scene from season four, episode seven of Breaking Bad, Glenn was the one who had to deal with Walt's temper tantrum and subsequent arson of the car. Looks like Glenn was able to fix it up and get out of New Mexico. <laughs> so let me play this real quick. 17 miles on the odometer. I know. Spent the better part of an hour sweet-talking the manager down to a restocking fee. $800. $800 for two days. Well, the law says they don't have to take it back at all. All right, here's the registration, the window sticker, the receipt. Oh, and make sure you talk to the general manager. His name is Glenn. Glenn. And that's Glenn driving away. Wow. So his wife wanted him to get rid of it because it it was too much attention. Yep. So again, another nod. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Doctor Who does this kind of stuff all the time. But the most recent piece of evidence came once again from Daryl during episode 12 of the current season, so last season. Daryl opens up to Beth about Merle's supplier, who sounds exactly like Jesse Pinkman. Okay. Merle had this dealer, this janky little white guy. He says, I'm going to kill you, bitch. So that was the dealer for Walter White. Okay. And he always said bitch. And he said it. Hmm. It's kind of like his coined phrase. So I don't know. So It could be. I mean, there's there's a lot of clues. But like you said, shows often do nods to each other just because it's fun to do that. Yeah. Um, but why do they open up the show with a drug pen? But is, is he meth or is he heroin? You mean Nick? Yeah. I don't think he's on meth. Although, for all we know, he could be on a lot of things. It seems like he kind of uses whatever's available to him. True. We see later he starts doing the morphine drip Mm -hmm. that the guy has next door so uh, you know i'm not sure what his drug of choice is but i feel like that would be really fun if that's the direction they were going in but i have a sneaky suspicion this is just a storyline that we're using often Mm -hmm. as a filler as something that's becoming increasingly common unfortunate as it is and that's what this character is going to be but also the last episode of the season i loved that whole I feel strange. We're spinning out the planet. 
We don't know where we're going. That's the thing. I never knew where I was going. It's like I've been living this for a long time. And now everyone is catching up with me. But what are his positives? I mean, what are the things that intrigue you about him that you think make him a good character? I think he's going to end up being one of the stronger parts of the group. I think this whole drug thing, if this series goes on for years, will be a memory. And he'll be one of the ones that's able to make those decisions because he's hurt people in the past as a drug addict to get what he needs. So this isn't that big of a difference. Yeah, in the first couple of episodes, I saw that there could be this intelligence and this knowing about him that he picked up something was seriously wrong far before anybody else did. Now, you could argue it was because he had seen these people at the church where he was doing the drugs. But then other people started to see individuals being turned into walkers and they were acting like idiots around them. Oh, they must be sick. Oh, it's okay. Let's help them. He instinctively knew this is not right. We got to get out of here. This is dangerous. When he was in the hospital, he recognized that the old man in the bed next to him was dying and that was a bad thing. He had to get out of there. That sort of wore off as a couple of episodes went by. Then it kind of deteriorated into, okay, he's with the family, he's safe, his big role is that he's going to go through detox, and then he's going to get addicted again. And I kind of lost the things that interested me about him. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to end really badly on that account until he finally met the character Strand, yeah, who I love, played by Coleman Domingo. I think he's going to be one of the most fascinating characters in this season. I'm really glad that they brought him into this. And for the simple reason that he seems to recognize something in Nick right off the bat, of course, there are traits that he wants to exploit from him. I think that he sees something about the nature he's developed in being an addict brings Mm -hmm. qualities to the table that could be really valuable in this type of world and he is going to pair up with him so he can use that. But he noticed that immediately. And I'm thinking to myself, are those some of the things that we saw in episodes one and two? And maybe as Strand's counterpart, he will become more interesting to us. I'm an addict. Don't sell yourself short. I'm going to require a man with your talents when I make my move. I agree with you. Strand is the most interesting character so far. Mm -hmm. And this beautiful house and he has this huge boat so obviously he's stabbed some people in the back backstory that we know nothing about really not yet but uh he's hurt people to get on top so guaranteed he's gonna hurt people to survive we can't trust him that's for sure but he's gonna make some good tv huh oh absolutely and immediately his character is so charming and magnanimous even when he's being a dick Mm -hmm. i mean people sort of respect that there's a power about him. Even the guards are willing to barter with him. They, they really shouldn't have given him the time of day, even for cufflinks. They know what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter how much those cufflinks are worth. If there's going to be no more money, no more people, everything's falling apart. And the head guys in that compound of the military, mm-hmm. they're hip to the situation right now. So I think it had more to do with the type of guy he was you know, split with the military guy's greed, of yeah. course. There's just, there's something to him. And even if he winds up being a bad guy, I think he's a bad guy that we can't help but like yes. at times. And our last character that we didn't talk about, she's probably the big sell to this series. We talked about the kids, but the mom for this side of the family, Travis's present wife, is Madison Clark, played by Kim Dickens. She's the one uh, everybody's talking about, known for Gone Girl, The Blind Side, Hollow Man, House of Cards. Mm -hmm. She's been in a lot. And I forgot how hot she was because she's not really hot in this show. But uh, the internet is very kind to her. Well, I think even naturally here, she has a a beauty to her. I think she's going to be an interesting character. She's already gone through her. I don't want to hurt my neighbor. I'm I'm hoping she's over that whole thing. (laughs) 
She's willing to do what she needs to do. She's another one where there's moments that you see strength in her. And when the husband starts going backwards, she's going to step up and take control of these decisions. And that made me happy. But she has weird slips here and there. And I guess that's only human for somebody Mm -hmm. trying to navigate this new world. Um, I think they need to decide very soon where characters are going to stand on this, how they're going to approach the world. It's too back and forth. It's too wishy-washy. And people keep saying, oh, what would you be like? What would anybody be like in that world? But I think you have something within yourself as a person, within your own character, that comes out in crisis situations. Either you're going to be strong and you're going to fight and you're going to do what it takes, or you're going to be weak and you're going to flee and you're going to go into denial, or you're going to freeze up and you're not going to do anything. And you might have fluctuations in that somewhat, but pretty much you're going to fall into one of those categories. And the mistake they're making is, yeah, it would be hard for people to adjust, but I think that they would naturally lean one way or another. And they're having characters flip-flop all over the place. Yeah. I love the ending scene with her and Liza, where um, they kind of bonded and she was going to, for the sake of Travis, kill Liza. I know, that was a good scene. It was well done. Um, it didn't affect me that much. Like when main characters die in Walking Dead, I'm like, holy shit, how the fuck? Or or Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But it was still a good scene. And I'm glad she's part of the show. And I'm interested to see where her story arc goes. Now we've killed the show. And I do have positives. I don't hate this show. Oh, I don't love it. I think I'm farther to the other end than you are. I still have hope. I, I'm, I was very close at certain points saying they really got to do something to hook me in or I don't know if I can make it. Yeah. If it hadn't have been connected to The Walking Dead, I don't know if I would have lasted this long. I think the biggest mistake, and I know we're going to get into talking a little bit about what happened in the episodes, was the hour and a half long season premiere without enough of anything happening. And they saved all of the interesting things. Last for two episodes. Th- yeah, even the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think poor planning. They needed to hook us. And then they could have gone to a little bit of the slow burn and then ended big. Right. Um, and I can, I'm not one of those people that hated the fact that the characters were kind of dumb to the walkers. Because I knew, I came in prepared knowing that we know more about the walkers than these characters do. We've seen it. We've seen it for years now. These characters do not know anything about them. So they don't know that you have to shoot them in the head. They don't know that no, they're not them. those things I get. But I still don't buy the argument of nobody knows what this is to the extreme of after you've seen yes. a man with bloodshot eyes that looks nothing like a human anymore eating a dog and going after people that you think this isn't a danger to either run from or at least knock out unconscious that we can walk up to him and touch him and talk to him and reason with him. Yeah, there's that no way. That type of stuff got, really pisses me off. That got annoying and boring real quick and frustrating. Mm-hmm. We asked our listeners uh, what they thought of this of the show, and this is what some of them wrote. Josh wrote, It came alive in the final two episodes, I agree, watching society collapse the way it did. Most apocalyptic dramas only show society after it fell versus society on the brink of collapse. I agree. Yeah, which was a very interesting viewpoint that I think they could have done more with. Yes. And you know what? Th- this We can't get into all the details because we're doing a full thing. Mm-hmm. But before we move on with our listeners, I don't like the way they dealt with the military. That oh, could no. have been so much stronger. Yeah. How did they deal with it? What were they getting from the president? Why don't, like, how interesting would that be if we had a character in the military that was receiving orders from the White House? How yeah, and I, I really be? thought we were going to see that either in the guy that was in charge, that was acting kind of like an asshole, or in our Adams character that we mm-hmm. get to know a little better. And we really didn't get that in either. Another listener, Aaron, wrote, I had really high hopes for it, based on the plot and what Josh said above, showing the brink of collapse. But I was left pretty disappointed in the writing and the acting in general, save a few of the characters. I agree it did come alive in the last episode, but was still pretty underwhelming for me. Just my two cents. 
I concur, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I think this whole podcast mirrors what your thoughts are. Thomas wrote, very lazy writing, too. Sophia demanding to see her mom as the walking dead are on top of the group. Such a typical lazy scene. As I was wa- really frustrated with that, too. Yeah, I was like, come on. As was the soldier Andy coming back for revenge when he could have gotten away from the hordes of walking dead people. High hopes before it started, but left disappointed and felt it wasted the acting talents of Kim Dickens and Reuben Blades. Yeah, 100%. And what was with Adams coming back that we thought he was going to shoot the father and he wound up shooting Ophelia? That was so dumb. What the hell was the point of that? I think the whole point of that whole scene was so that we could see Travis finally get angry and be like, we made a promise to each other. We made a deal. And now you do this and now I freak out. This was his moment. Um, it kind of mirrored when Shane freaked out on the wife beater. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know. I didn't feel the same like, yeah, kick his ass. No, no, not at all. That's, it's, it, that's what I'm saying. It's weird. The action parts that they tried to throw in there and the character arcs that they were attempting to develop, uh, it just was very spotty. It didn't feel well thought out. It didn't have a nice flow to it. No comparison to The Walking Dead. I don't care that they were just starting it off. Like I said, the first couple of episodes of The Walking Dead really hooked us into all of those elements. Uh, Thank you, Josh, Aaron, and Thomas for helping us out with this podcast. All right, Chris, rather than going through the whole entire season, episode per episode, let's just go through the season finale and work from there. Episode 6, The Good Man. With Cobalt about to be initiated, the group prepares to evacuate the neighborhood and rescue Liza, Griselda, and Nick, with Adams agreeing to be their guide. He privately warns Travis that Daniel will kill Adams when his usefulness is ended, and Travis decides to release him. They proceed to the National Guard's headquarters, where Daniel distracts the guards at the headquarters by leading a horde of walkers from the arena to the perimeter. They really couldn't come up with a better idea than this. Do you think the rest of the group knew that this is what he was going to do? No, they didn't know. They had no idea what he was doing. They never knew what he was doing once he kind of flipped that switch. Mm. But uh, for the writers, that they had this progression in mind, and this was the first time you see a horde in the Fear the Walking Dead series. And so this is what they were saving their big budget for, why we didn't see so much of them earlier? Right. Well, it wasn't about budget. They had the money. They had the backing of Walking Dead. But okay. it was just the increase of danger. And now we finally see the horde. So the increase of danger, this show was more about the danger of humans, this season at least, and the danger of how humans interact with each other when they have no hope. And then there's little bits of spurts of how these walkers are dangerous. But you see them in small packs at most, but mainly by themselves. And then this is the horde. This is the... Yeah, and even this felt a little anticlimactic to me for some reason. Because we've seen it already. We experienced that. I thought the scariest part of that whole scene was when the military guy walked out of the helicopter so dazed and, you know, he and got bit and just walked into the blade. That was amazing. Now, that was, was that beautiful. on purpose or was that because he was just so fucked up that, that he didn't purpose. realize? No, that was on purpose. Because that, to me, was like, whoa, that was the craziest thing that happened the entire season. Yeah. And that didn't cost a lot of money, and it wasn't about planning. It wasn't even necessarily, didn't have to be about zombies. Yeah. But it was intense, and I, I kept thinking, why couldn't we have had more of those feelings yeah. happening mm-hmm. to keep us interested? So that was pretty brutal. It was pretty amazing that Daniel just seemed to walk in um, kind of unfazed that there were 2,000 zombies literally on his heels. I mean, he wasn't three minutes ahead of them. He was like 30 seconds ahead right. of this pack <laughs> and just said, you know, you should save your uh, ammunition. I'm going inside. You guys can take care of this. Could be infected. Nice night. Sir, you're entering a restricted area. Stay where you are. I don't want to have to shoot you, old man. You should save your ammunition. Travis, Madison, Daniel, and Ophelia infiltrate the base while Alicia and Chris stay behind with their vehicles. I don't think we need to talk about how stupid it was to leave these two kids in the garage all by themselves. We can just keep going. (laughs) 
Inside the base, Strand and Nick initiate their escape plan. They leave the other detainees behind. That says something about Strand right there. Uh, Meanwhile, the walkers manage to breach the defenses. Travis's group comes across the holding cells and does set the people free and then reunites with Nick, Liza, and Strand. They try to escape through the medical ward where they discover Dr. Exner has euthanized all the patients. She tells them of the escape route before presumably committing suicide. Before they can escape, though, the group encounters Adams, who shoots Ophelia in the arm, and this is where Travis brutally beats him and leaves him for dead. So that was all, you know, kind of interesting, running back and forth, doors closing, zombies on the other side. A little bit more of what I had been looking for, I guess, in the culmination of this series. But probably most interesting to me was this sort of epilogue, this last scene where we move over to Strand leading the group to his Oceanside Mansion, where he reveals to Nick that he owns a yacht just off the coast called Abigail, which he plans to escape on. This is where on the beach, Liza reveals to Madison she was bitten and wants to be euthanized, and Travis winds up going through with this, actually. I did not think he was going to go along so willingly with the plan to do this himself. I'm glad he did, though. And um, clearly, this is just going to wreck him. I mean, this is going to be something really hard for him to get over. Yeah. We'll see how it affects him in the next season. What do you think the future is for them? Are we going to spend... A whole season on a boat? No. One episode on a boat? I mean, what is going to happen here? Uh, Well, I think that there is dead on the boat already. His daughter, Strand's daughter... Was probably bit. Something happened to her before she got on the boat, if she even is there. Um, was that fake, though? I think we thought it was the daughter when he was talking about Abigail, and then we find out Abigail's the name of the boat. Uh, no, we saw the, p- the photo. Okay, so there is a real daughter. Yeah. Okay. They're probably going to sail around the shore, okay. and they'll probably go back on shore a couple times because ca- they can't have a full show on a boat. So we had talked about an interesting plot that we always hoped they would introduce in Walking Dead that they never did about a seeming safe place to retreat to would be an island. Yeah. Because you have to assume that the zombies wouldn't be able to get there. They can't swim. They can't take a boat. Right. I think that if their travels on the boat took them somewhere interesting to a place, maybe, you know, obviously not the CDC, but like that or somewhere where they could get answers or Mm -hmm. we see a different perspective of uh, people escaping at sea or running into other people. But if they're just sailing around and periodically stopping back in, it's going to get real boring. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that. I really don't. We'll probably speak about this more in the Walking Dead podcast, but uh, we've been playing the video game Walking Dead on Xbox One and they were trying to find a boat to sail off. It had so to that be a would have been what if, if I was in the apocalypse right now, uh, Walking Dead apocalypse, that's where I would be going to. We need to go to an island, secluded, yeah. find a way to make our own money. I'm um, really find a way to make our own food. I'm really surprised with the amount of people who feel that way, and that being on the video game that we haven't already seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like protect the island. Um, zombies can't get onto it. You can see other people approaching from far off the way they thought they would do in the desert but mm-hmm. here you could have more natural resources yeah it just seems like a smart plan um any other predictions for what might happen in uh season two strand's gonna be a big deal he's gonna be the antagonist right in the show uh we're gonna have to deal with a lot of boring like travis emotional issues i think daniel will eventually become uh, a thorn in the group and He's either going to do something really fucked up and uh, they're going to have to get rid of him or he's going to die saving someone. But he's he is too volatile. I think something might happen to Ophelia and that could definitely push him over the edge. And I think is she dead. Ophelia. She was the the daughter. she, She was shot. Oh, yeah. But she's okay. She's okay. She seems to be fine. So this military man missed Ophelia from 10 feet yeah, away. Yeah, she's cool. According to uh, Liza, but Liza's not around to, to help out anymore, so who knows. But uh, <laughs> I also think something could happen to one of the other kids because yeah. there's three kids and you just got to imagine that the likelihood of those odds are not going to hold up. We can get rid of Chris Manoa. He can go. 
He's not even interested. Yeah. I think that's probably likely. All right. We got three more sections. We appreciate you guys listening in with us. We got some fun sections. We're going to do a little trivia quiz. Let's, let's see how smart we actually are or how much attention we paid. Okay. Question number one. What does Travis see at the church when he visits to collaborate Nick's story? A. Pile of syringes. B. Gloria's body. C. A human's leg. D. Blood. We'll give it a second so our listeners can come up with their own answers. Okay. I'm going to go with D, blood. I remember him seeing blood on the ground when he went to that spot where... I agree. I'm going to say blood as well. And the correct answer is blood. Yeah. Sweet. Question number two. What favor does Nick ask of a nurse? Fetch his neighbor's clothes, open the window, call Calvin, untie his hand. Oh, D, untie his hand because that's where he wanted to use the bathroom. That's right. I agree. In the bedpan. We are on fire. The doctor tells Madison and Travis that Nick is experiencing A, flu-like symptoms, B, amnesia, C, delusions, D, heroin withdrawal. Uh, Which doctor and when are we talking about? The doctor at the hospital? Yes. Or Dr. Exner later on? When he first goes to the hospital. Okay, his first hospital trip, it was heroin withdrawal. I'm going to go see delusions. Later on with Dr. Exner, it was a fever. So I'm going to go see delusions. Okay. So you're saying heroin? D- yes, heroin? D- heroin withdrawal. The correct answer was C. I was right. Oh, wow. I thought they knew right off the bat when he first Bam. went to the hospital that he was detoxing off drugs. No, they didn't. I think they were so everywhere. Wrapped up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Two more questions. What is Gloria doing when Nick wakes up in the church? A, stabbing someone. B, overdosing on heroin. C, being eaten by a walker. Or D, eating someone. So it's not meth. It's heroin. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with D, eating someone. Me too. I think that's one of the easier ones. Yep. Oh, wow. We're doing we great. Are the shit. Is this the last question? Last question. Oh, boy. What does Madison confiscate from Tobias? A, loose change. This is easy. Oh B, goodness. gun. C, drugs. D, knife. And is it just almost always D? That, I know. It feels that like the, it, right? Uh, the thing here? It's D, knife. I didn't make these. Beautiful. All right. That was so fun. we are the shit. How did you guys uh, fare? I bet you guys got just as money right. <laughs> I got one wrong, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funny thing, Kim Dickens had a southern drawl sometimes. Um, do you think she might be from somewhere like Kentucky where Rick Grimes lived? Yeah, I noticed that. And we keep questioning if these Fear the Dead characters are going to tie in directly somehow to The Walking Dead proper. Mm-hmm. Um I could see some sort of tie-in, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to be that close. Right. And do you think she had a drug problem? Because she seems very, like, understanding of what he's going through, her son. No. No, I think that's just, you know, she gets a little tough love at, at times with him, too, the way she parents a boy. Okay. All right, one cool thing. When Nick was in the hospital, you saw how the doctors were reacting. If someone is dying or dies, they take him. They're like, take him to the basement. Mm-hmm. So obviously they knew kind of what was going on, or they at least had something. They had some kind of orders that they had to follow. Yep. It wasn't like the norm. Yep. I found this online. Uh, the World Health Organization sent a memorandum, uh, and it was from the... International Disaster Emergency Response Plan. Hmm, The WHO has always got to factor in in these things. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. So, place of issue, Geneva, Switzerland. Integrated plan, International Disaster Emergency Response Plan. So, there's a bunch of paragraphs that speaks terminologies of how they deal with the deceased. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, there's a final 
paragraph that explains that in light of the still limited knowledge of an as of yet unidentified strain of virus, the World Health Organization is mandating specific protocol that disregards former IDERP protocol to the proper disposition of remains. The following guidelines are to be put in place, superseding all former management of the deceased protocol. In the event of do not resuscitate patients, all DNR orders are to be disregarded. Huh. It is in the interest of the hospital, hospice, or caretaker to maintain life at all costs. If life-saving techniques fail to pro- procure life within 60 seconds after time of death, the techniques are to be terminated and patient is to be considered expired. Immediate transfer of the deceased to the morgue is necessary. If morgue is more than 15 minutes away, the remains of the removed from the bereaved and restrained are by any means necessary. Basically, what this is saying was that they figured out very early on, no matter what caused the death, as soon as they died, they were going to come back right. as walkers, infected, whatever they were calling them then. And that there was a window. So they're saying here 15 minutes. They, I guess they didn't know the variation yet, but they had a certain amount of time before they were to come back. So yeah. at all costs, if somebody went into a critical situation, you had to either keep them alive or make sure that they were dead, dead, and gotten rid of very quickly. And we kind of figured early on that that's what we were seeing at the hospital with Mm -hmm. Nick there. Yeah, but it's kind of cool that we have this memorandum. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, And the last one, in the event that the deceased resumes signs of life following the cessation of life-saving techniques, the remanated remains are to be regarded as biological hazard. Yeah. So all well, they didn't know how the infection was spreading. And yeah. That's crazy to think about that. And these doctors just have to read it and then go on proceeding with their duties in regard to this memorandum. Well, they didn't know it, but they were really the first line of defense at this point. How many more concentrated deaths do you get mm-hmm. than at hospitals? So that was going to be the primary initial source of you know the majority of our walkers yeah. if that wasn't handled correctly. That concludes our Fear the Walking Dead. And, uh, you know, we normally have high regards with things that we review. And it's not all that bad. I still enjoyed watching it. And I'm kind of excited for this Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462, which is a 16-part web series. And it'll be available online as well as airing during commercial breaks for The Walking Dead Season 6, which premieres October 11th on the cable network. Each episode will be around one minute in length. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait <laughs> instead of watching one minute at a time until uh, we can watch them I don't, more I mean, together online. I unless you leave during commercial break, you, you're going to see it. Oh, I, I think that's what I plan on doing. Oh, okay. Just watching them all together online later. That's, that's more of a tease to watch one minute at a time, don't you yeah. think? Well, this is what I mean. Like They should have had this during Fear of the Walking Dead as one of the characters. In the, ser- the series will take place over the course of one flight and is set during the same period as Fear the Walking Dead, exploring the initial outbreak of the virus that decimates humanity. The story follows a group of airline passengers who discover that one of their fellow travelers is infected with the virus, putting their lives at risk. One of the new characters who survives the zombie encounter will join the cast of Fear in Season 2, which will continue to explore what happened to humanity in the weeks before Rip Grimes woke from his coma in the first episode of Walking Dead. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. I just feel like you can't get into anything in a minute One and a half. Minute. Yeah. And we watched the first episode, and it was actually more exciting oh, uh, yeah. than Fear, but then it was over. It was one and a half minute was better than 45 minutes <laughs> yeah. of this. This should have um, just been, again, like we were saying before, one of the stories going on of, amongst other stories. So I guess you can probably tell how we feel already, but do you want to go ahead and give our ratings? So we introduced with our last podcast, when we reviewed The Maze Runner, that we're going to be doing a grading system from 1 to 10 Mm -hmm. across the board so that people can know how we're grading. We won't change the numbers. The only thing we're going to change from show to show is what the 1 to 10 are. It's never going to be something lame like stars. For The Maze Runner, we called them cranks. And for this one, we're going to call them The Infected. So out of 10, Christina, what do you give the show? Oh, I'm pretty down on it. This is probably the lowest 
I'm going to go for a while. I'm going to give it 4.5 infected. Ooh, you hated it. It, it. it turned me around slightly at the end, but it took way too long. I'm not feeling it. Uh, I thought I was going low with giving the show 5.5 infected. Um, I think we're being a little hard on it. It wasn't as bad, but we expected so much that that's why we're grading it so low. Well, what do other people think? Does it have a Rotten Tomato score? The tomato meter was way above ours, 79%. Okay, so that would have been eight infected for them. And the average audience score was 64%. Which would have been 6.5. That's not too far from yours. Not too far. Um, Again, I think we... Admittedly, we got stuck with the possibilities that they had and what they delivered instead of what just grading what they delivered. But you know what? That's If you're going to make a show off of Walking Dead... That's you got to deliver. Exactly. I'm sorry. And that's what you're going to be graded on. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And if you want to email us what your grading system was, how many out of 10 infected do you grade this and, and why? You can email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or you can give us a message on our Facebook page, Coffee Clatch Crew. And as we mentioned before... We're going to be doing regular episode reviews for The Walking Dead as soon as that starts. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, things you would like to hear on those podcasts, please let us know. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me!